If you live long enough in a space, eventually you get be, become familiar with your surroundings that you know how to make your way around in the dark. The sun may be set, the lights may be off, but if you need to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, or maybe if you for, realize you forgot to lock the front door, when it's dark, if you're familiar enough with the space, you know how to make your way around. And that's fine for maybe a short time, for a short trip from point A to B, but it gets rather inconvenient, say if there's like a long power outage, and now you need to try and cook a meal. And it's more than just going from point A to point B, and it can get very frustrating to try and live like that darkness is kind of your normal. When the shadows of darkness settle over the Christian soul, many of us can become content with walking and stumbling around with the darkness as our norm. Stumbling around in our Christian faith, not seeing any growth, and content not being content. This is the first of three Sundays in this Christmas season that we are going to be considering the significance of Jesus Christ as the promised king who has come. And today, we're going to consider the familiar royal passage of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 7. And I hope as we examine and consider the significance today of Christ as our king you will be encouraged to believe once again that even in the darkness, God offers hope. Even in the darkness of your soul, God offers hope. The people whom Isaiah was speaking to in his time were in quite a great darkness. At the time when Isaiah was the prophet, the kingdom that God had established first under David and then following with Solomon, that kingdom had greatly diminished and that kingdom was severely divided. The glory of David and Solomon were long gone. The kingdom was split in two between Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And all of this diminished division was really a result of God turning his face away from his people because of their idolatry and because of their unbelief. And their idolatry and unbelief had become so severe that the former glory had their idolatry and unbelief had become so severe that their glory, glory had spoiled and become rotten, and now a predatory nation, Israel, was ready to pounce. Their former glory had so diminished and spoiled that God had sent a predatory nation, Assyria, and they were ready to pounce. But even in this darkness, where they saw this tyrannical nation right on their doorstep, even in this darkness, because of their idolatry and because of their unbelief, God offered hope. Through Isaiah, God promised that he was still with them. And though they would be taken off by this predatory nation, they would still return. 
And God's chosen people would occupy that land that he promised to them. And the certainty of God's promises, though impending judgment was looming, and a remnant would return, the certainty of that promise was enough for Isaiah to have hope. In Isaiah 8.17, the prophet said, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Even in the darkness, God offered hope. But Isaiah knew that it had become so wretched and spoiled amongst God's people that they would not share in his hope, that they would not wait on God, that they would not bind up the teaching and the testimony that was given to them. Isaiah knew that they were going to go back to their ways, back to their idolatry, back to their unbelief, back to inquiring of mediums, necromancers, like ancient forms of witchcraft. Rather than taking the secure, promised word of God. And he knew that this would lead them into further darkness, into the shadows of their soul. And he knew that it would cause them to be clouded with rage, with distress, with gloom, and with anguish. This was a result of their idolatry and their unbelief. Christian, can you remember a time when the darkness loomed heavy over your own soul? Where your heart's affections were captured and led astray by idolatry? Where you in your own effort, with all of your strength, could not hold fast to the teaching of God's word, would not listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When any time the encouragement of a Christian brother or sister came to you, just rolled off your back like water off of a duck. Are you in that darkness now where it seems like every emotion is either boiling rage, hopeless despair, and you have no idea how to get your way back to the light. All of us are prone to idolatry and unbelief. It's not a question of what, or excuse me, it's not a question of if, it's just a question of what. An idol can be anything. An idol is anything apart from God that you offer your deepest affections, believing it is of highest worth and trusting that it will return to you the greatest satisfaction. What are you idolizing? What is that thing that you offer your deepest affections believing it is of highest worth and trusting it to give you the greatest satisfaction. The question isn't if, but what. We can idolize our career. We can idolize our religious zeal, our faithful church membership, our reputation and body image, our parents' approval, our financial security. All things apart from God that we idolize have one thing in common. Psalm 16 verse 4 says that one thing. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall 
multiply. Offering your deepest affections to anything that you think has higher worth than God will not return to you great satisfaction. It will only return to you deep pain and great darkness. We are all prone to idolatry and unbelief. Unbelief is willful resistance to God's word. Isaiah told these people God's word was bound securely, sealed up tightly, trustworthy. And if they believed it, even though judgment was coming, even though God was disciplining, if they believed it, they could have hope. Do you remember what Jesus said about his word? Jesus said that his word is a foundation that you can build your life on. And anything else is what? Sinking sand. Jesus said that heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will not pass away. And Isaiah told King Ahaz when he was shaking like a tree, unwilling Willfully resistant to God's word, Isaiah looked at him and said, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. I can recall times when the darkness of idolatry and unbelief was cast over my soul. Nothing was satisfying. Everything was empty. And all I saw was darkness. Christian, is your soul under the thick darkness of idolatry and unbelief even now? Are you investing your affections into something that you foolishly think will give you a return? Are you fortifying your faith with the truth of God's word or the wisdom of the world? Even in the darkness, God offers hope. See, to the people who are walking in darkness, God promised to them, even though they were faithless, he would still be faithful. He would still shine his light upon them because our God is merciful, because our God is gracious, because our God keeps his word to the people whom he has chosen. So Christian, even if you find yourself in the deepest of darkness today, and it seems as if God has turned his face away from you. His secure promises, I will never leave you or forsake you, still stand. Even in the darkness, even in your darkness today, God offers hope. Do you know what that hope looks like? Do you know what change it will make when God's hope breaks into our life? Look at verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 9. It says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land before, beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Even in the darkness, God offers hope. What does hope look like? Hope looks like the breaking dawn. Hope is light out of darkness where I can finally see again. And here we see an example of how God's hope broke through for a specific people in a particular place 
going through unique problems. And I think God is using, Isaiah is using here Zebulun and Naphtali, these people in this place with their unique problems, as an example to all of God's people here in Israel and Judah, and by extension to the church and all of Christianity as well. So what were they going through? Well, the problems they were going through were really well connected to the place where they lived. In Israel, Zebulun and Naphtali were tribes that inhabited land in the north of the nation. And they were right to the west of the Sea of Galilee, west of the Jordan River. This area, this geographical region is Galilee, and the people who lived in it were the two tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, and it's called the Galilee of Nations because it's so far north that it bordered nations outside of Israel, and even in the time of Solomon, Solomon gave 20 cities to the king of Tyre and Sidon in exchange for the cedar he brought from them. So there were a lot of foreigners living amongst the area of Galilee. And Isaiah mentions that there was something in the former times that happened in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali that brought them under contempt. What is he talking about there? Not every battle in World War II is remembered. A lot happened. But there were a few ones that were particularly important that when you think about World War II, you might remember. Oh, Once the United States entered the war... Europe was nearly fully overtaken by German forces. And the Allies needed a strategic plan to take back the whole continent. But before they got to Berlin, they first needed to break through the beaches of France. You might not know all of the battles of World War II, but you'll probably know about D-Day. The Battle of Normandy. The beaches of Normandy were the doorway to get into Europe to take back the whole continent. Normandy, and what happened to Normandy, and the devastation of tens of thousands of uh, bombers and boats and soldiers ascending onto that beach and trampling over at to get into Europe, that's kind of what happened to Zebulun and Naphtali. They were the doorway for the tyrannical foreign nation of Assyria to get into Israel. Assyria had, uh, would come and take the whole nation away in the future, uh, chronologically in Isaiah 9, but they had already came once. That's the former time. And it was so devastating when Assyria went in through Naphtali and Zebulun that when people just heard the word Naphtali and Zebulun, they were like, oh man, they were humiliated. That's all they were known. But God was saying that even amongst this place and these people with those problems, who were like the picture of darkness and humiliation, God could even shine his light there. God could even make that way that was known as the doorway of a tyrant trampled over by warriors, God said, I will make that way glorious. Christian, don't think you're too far off from the light of God breaking in and making you new. You may feel like from your own decisions and your own idolatry and your own unbelief, 
that there's no way that you could look like that other Christian friend that you have, or that you could have that marriage that someone else has, or that you could have the same peace that you say other people have. If God can shine his light into this land and these people and those problems, he can do it in yours as well. Even in the darkness, God offers hope. It is like the breaking of dawn in the deepest valley of the deepest valley. And even there, friend, God is with you. So when the light breaks through, what actually happens? What real difference does it make when God's hope shines into our lives? Well, verse 3 to verse 5 says that when God offers hope and it breaks through, it brings joy and it brings liberty. Look at verse 3 to verse 5. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil, the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Christian, when God's light breaks through your life and he shines upon you, the hope that he has brings joy out of the distress of our idolatry and unbelief. And it brings liberty from the shackles that our idols have brought us into in sin. Who amongst us is longing for joy and aching for freedom from their sin? The joy that they would have would like the joy of the bounty at a harvest and the joy of a victory after a battle. For too long, it seemed like they were famished For too long, it felt that they were plundered. But God would say that one day, he would bring a harvest. One day, they would have victory, and they would not be plundered. They would be the ones who triumph. That is the hope. That was the joy. That was the liberty that they could have. See, these terms, yoke, staff, rod, these are tools that an oppressor would use to keep their slaves in bondage. But God promised that they would be free, that his people would prosper, and that their prosperity and liberty would come about swiftly as on the day of Midian. Can you think of a time in the scriptures when Israel was oppressed by the Midianite people? Does anything come to mind? That's right. Isaiah wants the people to remember Gideon. In the time of Gideon, Israel was horribly oppressed for many years. So much so that people were scared and would hide their harvest because they knew as soon as they took it in, Midian would come and just take everything away. For years they were oppressed by them. But what did God need to rescue his people from the might of Midian? He needed 300 meager men, and one coward of a commander in Gideon. And in one night, through 300 men and a coward of a commander, God routed the whole might of Midian, and they were free. 
swiftly he would bring liberty. When his light shines upon you, Christian, you can have joy. You can know freedom. Where your idolatry brings you into darkness and your unbelief keeps you in shackles, even in that darkness, God offers hope. It is the breaking through of the light of God. You can see the joy sweep away the clouds of despair. You can see the freedom get you out of what is keeping you down. So if this is what it looks like, and this is what we can have, where does it come from? How do we get it? Even in the darkness, God offers hope. Well, where does it come from? How can we have this joy? How can we have this liberty? How can we see the light shine upon us again? It comes from Christ, our King. Verse 6 and verse 7 proclaims, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God offers hope, so Christian, put all your hope in Christ our King. Matthew 4 testifies that Jesus is the light that shone into Zebulun and Naphtali when he taught for years around the region of Galilee, proclaiming the message of his kingdom. Luke chapter 2, 11 affirms that Jesus is this child born. He is this son given when the angels announced his birth to the shepherds. See, the hope of Christmas is the same hope to that generation, to the people whom Isaiah spoke to. And it's the hope to our generation and every generation. The hope is that this obscure people, this unimpressive couple, would give birth to a son and he would institute his authority over all things and over all people and Christ would make all things right because he would be king. If you find yourself in darkness and are longing for hope, for joy, for liberty, put all your hope in Christ our king. Now, we read this passage about the son born, the child given, the government on his shoulders, and this screams to us Christmas. You probably think of the stylized font, an ornament on a tree, the songs that we sing. And we rejoice that this is about Christ, but I think when Isaiah first made this prophecy to these people, I don't think they would have had this jubilation about them. I think the pattern of their character would have shown that they might have met it with skepticism and with continued unbelief. And for many these days, even maybe for you here today, the idea of hearing 
that some authority figure and some institution is the way that all my problems are going to be solved, you might hear that news and meet it with skepticism and with distrust. Some of us here may react to the idea of as authority figure or as institution as the source of our hope and think that at best that's naive and at worst this is just more manipulation of more abuses of power that I always have only seen. That might be what you think because you've seen the real abuses that people have done with the power and authority. You've seen how that's been done in politics. You've seen how that's been done in education. You've seen that, how that's happened in families. You've seen how it's happened in church. So anytime you hear of a structure that has some kind of hierarchy and some kind of central figure with authority that everyone needs to yield themselves into, you're immediately hands off. And you want nothing to do with it. And for better or for worse, you'll be the master of your own destiny. This child spoken of, this son who is given, he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But Jesus shows us a model of authority and power that subverts and challenges everything we think how power should be wielded today. See, Christ is king, but he demonstrates his power in a way that does real good that endears trust and affection towards him. He came as a different kind of king. Jesus did not come to lord his authority over other people. He did not come to be served. The king came to serve. He did not use his authority to gain more fame and recognition so that he could, through more power brokerage, get more authority and more fame. It wasn't self-serving. In fact, Jesus willingly associated with those people who the people in power willingly outcasted and neglected. And ultimately, the one who came as king laid his life down as a servant in love for others. See, the darkness that clouds over our soul because of our sin and our idolatry, it clouded over Christ on that day when he gave up his life. The dark cloud that laid over Christ was the evidence of God's wrath and judgment against Jesus. See, all of those things that make us enemies of God and put us in rebellion from God and keep us from the joy and liberty that we can have in God, the king, the son, he himself, willingly became the object of God's wrath so that his enemies could be accepted as friends and welcomed in as citizens. Christ uses his authority in a way that's not for his own benefit, but it is for the good of others. And it is worth giving our highest praise and affection to him. This person, this king, is worthy of all of our affections, all of our allegiance, all of our trust. Idolatry and unbelief can only lead us into further darkness. Christian, friend, put all your hope in Christ the king. 
Put your allegiance to him and you will find the security of joy and liberty in one who stands over you with authority but is for you in service. You will find the security of joy and liberty in one who serves you as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. He is the one who holds the promised throne that God said to David, who will rule forever. There will be no sunset on his kingdom. And he will uphold the security of our joy and liberty through his righteousness, through his justice. God will establish it, and none will be able to contend against it. He alone can hold you in the security of joy and of liberty. And the more you know of him, the more you can see that he's worthy of putting your hope in him. Do you believe that he can be your wonderful counselor? See, friend, when you feel stumped or lost and you need direction, the guidance that you need can be found through the word of our King, through the direction of our Holy Spirit. And when we seek his counsel, it is wonderful. It is breathtaking. The light switches on, the fog clears, my path is clear, I only need to be obey. And I can find the benefit of that. Put all your hope in your wonderful counselor. Put all your hope in the mighty God. See, Christ not only has the wisdom to give us the guidance to know where we should go, he has the power to enact his good will of righteousness and justice. You can trust that his word is solid and firm and it will be done. Put all your hope in the everlasting father. Now here, Isaiah doesn't have in view the uh, biblical New Testament understanding of Trinity with like God the father and Christ the son. He's speaking here of Jesus as an everlasting father. So how is Jesus, who is the son of God, also, everlasting father. Where we see, we see examples in the Old Testament where father, though a function in relationship, also is kind of a title given to God to demonstrate that he cares for and protects the weak and the vulnerable. Psalm 68 verse 5 talks about God like this. Father of the fatherless, protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. And kings were often attributed to as fatherly with their job of establishing justice and establishing righteousness. They had the courage, they had the compassion to protect the weak and the vulnerable. Christian, God's love for you, God's compassion and courage to protect and care for you when it seems like others are not, is everlasting. Put all your hope in him, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He rules over peace and in peace he is marked by peace. Peace is this idea of shalom. It's more than just peace of mind after I do some breathing exercises and my blood pressure and heart rate goes down. The peace of the prince of peace here is one who sustains us in completeness and in wholeness. 
Whereas idolatry deceives us to believe that it will give us our full dignity and our greatest significance, but ends up only hollowing us out and leaving us rotten and spoiled, multiplying our solos, the Prince of Peace sustains you whole and complete in dignity and with significance. Christian, you do not need to be content not being content. Your hope is in the forgiveness, the counsel, the power, the peace of the one who has authority over you, who is leading you. And when you are faithful to your king and you put all your hope in him, even in sorrowful circumstances, you can know the warmth of his light shining on you. You can be pleased with the joy and the liberty you have when your affections and your allegiance is fully given to him. Even in our darkness, God offers hope. So put all your hope in Christ the King. So friend, I'd ask you, who amongst us needs to strengthen their affections and their allegiance to Christ as King? Who amongst us for the first time needs to change their allegiance and recognize that Jesus is not just the nativity scene, hallmark card, baby who was born at Christmas, but who is the strong and powerful king who can hold me securely, reconcile me to God, and give me the hope that I need. Believe in Christ, and your joy and your liberty can be held secure. Maybe you recognize that you're in darkness around you. And that's okay, because it's the ones who walk in darkness and recognize they're in darkness who can see the great light. As king, he stands over us, but he also stands for us. Over these past few weeks, we've seen kind of uh, disappointingly that though soccer is a growing sport in Canada, it is still not our best sport. Hockey is still our best sport, and maybe we'll get a little rehabilitated after all of these losses with some victories with the World Juniors coming up. We're known for hockey. When Canadian team hits the ice, we expect nothing else than gold. And they might be on the ice scoring the goals. They might be the ones who get the medals around their neck and lift the trophy up. But when they win and their national anthem plays, our national anthem plays. And we cheer for them because their victory is our victory. And in their joy, we have joy. Because Christ is your king, all of his excellencies, all of his triumphs, all of his joys are your joys. Our king was the suffering servant who died in our place, and by faith in him we are forgiven from idolatry, forgiven of our unbelief, and we have standing over us and for us a king who is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and in his justice and righteousness, our joy and liberty is held secure. Christian, believe it. Even in the darkness, God offers hope. So put all your hope in Christ the King. Let's pray now.
Father in heaven, we rejoice for such a king that we have in Jesus. We thank you that he came over 20 centuries ago, born in a humble state as a child. We thank you that he lived humbly as a servant, even unto death on a cross. And we praise Jesus that he is now risen has ascended and is seated at your right hand and ever stands interceding for the sake of his saints, ready to save us to the uttermost. God, I pray for us as a church that you would give us the insight through the conviction of your Holy Spirit to recognize the ways in which idolatry and unbelief have captured our heart and led us astray. God, I pray that you would not keep, that you would prevent us from numbing your conviction, but to feel the pain of your discipline, the, your loving discipline, so that we might know the guilt of our sin, but then turn from it and towards you, that we would offer you our deepest affections and allegiance, that we would see you as the greatest joy. Lord God, I pray that in our darkness that you would shine your light, liberating us from our sin and idolatry and satisfying with us with your joy because of Christ, our great King, whose name is above all and who reigns without end. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.